0: All right, that makes me ready to go. Can't wait for him to get off stage. Get your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 16, if you will. Matthew chapter 16. I want to warn you as we begin that, uh, well, first of all, I'm not mad, okay, or angry for that matter. Uh, I want you to get that because the sermon that we're about to get into here may make you think that I'm a little bit angry or upset, and that is not the case. Uh, as I start, I want to give you another warning, and that is that bad theology is everywhere. When you start looking for bad theology, don't forget to look behind the pulpit, in other churches especially. <laughs> Theology is one of those $8 seminary words that I could give you a $16 seminary definition for, but I'm going to go for the $0.25 cent definition so that we all get it today, okay? Theology, boiled down uh, beyond where you should boil it down, is simply how we think about God and how that impacts our life, okay? And bad theology is everywhere, and it seeps into how we talk and how we think, and uh, I want to give you an example of that, Now I'm going to... We're in this passage in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter gives the right answer. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on this rock, I'll build my church. And and so part of what we've done, now this is the third sermon in this four-sermon series about the nature of the church, and part of what I've emphasized thus far is that there's a lot of good theology in this and a lot of bad theology jumps out of it. For instance, you know those jokes? I think they're intended to be jokes. Uh, most of the time, I, I have a hard time having them, finding them really funny because the theology is so bad in them that it causes me to kind of cringe. But it's the jokes that we tell about Simon Peter at the gates of heaven. You know those that I'm talking about? Uh, I could give you one that Tucson told me one time that is hilarious, right? But I don't have time for that one this morning, so I'm going to give you this one. Simon Peter's at the gates of heaven. By the way, when I get to the end of it, I'll tell you how bad theology, how much bad theology is in this, all right? So just stay with me. Simon Peter's at the gates of heaven. And people start showing up to get into heaven. He asks them the typical questions, what should I say to let you into heaven? And this person gives the right answer, and Simon Peter gives him one he wasn't expecting. He says, so when you were on earth and alive, what church did you go to? What part of the church at large, what denomination were you part of? And so the person at the front of the line says, well, I was Presbyterian. Simon Peter says, that's great. We have Presbyterians here. Come on in. And Presbyterians are in room 12. So go down this hall, take a left, room 12. But please do this for me. When you go past room number 8, please be very, very quiet. Cool. Goes in. Goes to the Presbyterian room. The next person in line comes up. He says, why should I let you in? He says, well, this is a, you know I, I trusted Christ as my Savior. Great, that's the right answer. Where did you go to church? What part of the denomination were you in? He says, I was Methodist. He said, great, we have Methodists up here. Methodists are in room 20. So go down this hall, take a right, room 20. But please do this. When you get to room 8, be very, very quiet as you go past it. And so that scenario plays out time after time and he's sending people wherever they go and finally a guy comes up to the front of the line and he says, "Uh, wait a minute, before you ask me a question, I have to know, why does everybody have to be so quiet when they go past room number eight? And Simon Peter says, well, that's where the Baptists are and they think they're the only ones up here in heaven. (laughs) All right, now see, there's a hook in that, Right? Here's some of the bad theology, right? You ready for this? First of all, there ain't no Simon Peter waiting at the gates of heaven, okay? That's just bad theology. And here's another one for you. Uh, they're not going to be separation of denominations in heaven, all right? Now, now, that shocks some people. And here's the real shocker in case you didn't find any humor in what I just got through saying. Baptists are not the only ones who are going to be there. Let me even be, I'll be more conservative than that. All Baptists won't be there. There's a lot of bad theology in that little attempt at humor, but there's also some really good teaching for us today because the reality of that is that it exposes us. In this passage, well, let's just read it because we've already talked about it a little bit. So in verse Number 13 of Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, it reads this way Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, I'll tell you again, that's the northernmost part of Israel during those days. To stay in Israel and go north, that was as far as you could go, pretty much. So, as they were in the district of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah and others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus, cutting to the chase, says, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, congratulations, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petras. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one, that he was the Christ. Now, for full impact here, I want us to make sure that we're on the same page. Let me give you a real quick review of where we've been. First of all, Jesus cuts to the chase. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter's answer, the only correct answer that could be given is you are the Christ of God. That's Luke's interpretation of it. Matthew expands that for us. Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That confession of who Jesus is, Jesus takes now. And he says, that confession itself is the core. And on that core... I'll build my church. I know that there are those who teach that it's Simon Peter who is the one that the church is built on on this rock and he's pointing to Simon Peter we showed you last week. That's not only doesn't fit the grammar here, it doesn't fit the text here, it doesn't fit the flow of Matthew's gospel, it doesn't fit the flow of the New Testament, it doesn't make good theology. Simon Peter is not the one that the church is built on. You are the Christ of God. Church is built on who Jesus is. It is the foundation of the church. And the implications of that on us are significant. If it's his church, who gets to run it? See, that's really the first big implication of this passage. My sermon today is going to be one word. Uh, Not not the sermon. You know me better than that. But it's going to be based on one word and all of the implications of that when it comes to the church. We're in this four-session look at the nature of the church because I believe as a church we are at the crossroads of where we're going to go and who we're going to be. And we better get it right because if we miss it at this point, we might as well shut the doors and go home. The implication, the first big implication of this particular passage that we're looking at is that this church, Crestwood Baptist Church, as well as all the other gathered churches to what we call the universal church, all Christians who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, this church, if it's his, by definition means it's not yours. Okay, let me make that a little less attacking to you, and I'll put it on me. It's not my church. There are pulpits in America today filled with preachers in America today. No matter what they say, they believe that it's their church. We have seminaries teaching. That's the way to do pastoral theology. Only problem with that is that goes totally against what Jesus says here. Did you see verse 18? We're going to come to it in our text in just a minute. But here's what it says Jesus says, I will build my church. That's difficult for us to grasp. I I know we get it, but we don't get it a lot of the time. Yesterday, my, my son said something that was so profound. First of all, it nearly knocked me out of the car that he would say something profound. That's not true. He's the smartest guy in our family most of the time. It's not hard to do in our family, but. uh, And Lauren's over there going, thanks, man. You're the best looking, so what do you get? You get, okay. Except for your mother, of course. I'm going to go ahead and pray, and we'll go home now. Here's the deal. Uh, yesterday, church threw Lauren a, a wedding shower. Thank you so much for doing that. She needed a shower, first of all, and uh, <laughs> we, we appreciate y'all uh, loving her as you love us. And um, but Brandon and I, Brandon is Lauren's sister, my oldest son, and uh, we decided that—that's <laughs> what I thought. I said, "Yeah, that's what I meant to say." You think what? Hear what I mean, What I mean, not what I say. Okay. Um, so anyway, Brandon and I uh, felt like it was not safe for us to be at a wedding shower, and so we decided we would go play golf. My dad came in from Huntsville, and uh, so the idea was that we were going to go play golf. Lauren's fiance, John, uh, had never played golf before in his life, so we played for money yesterday. Um, no, that's not true. We didn't, we didn't need money. It was fun enough with him. Um, anyway. So on the way back from playing golf, Brandon and John, my son and future son-in-law, are sitting in the back seat and they're talking about spiritual things. Now, you want to really know what blesses a parent's heart is for your kids to grow up and be able to talk about spiritual things. And uh, they were doing that. And Brandon said something that was incredibly profound. And I want you to get it. Matter of fact, if you don't get anything else out of the message today... This is worth the gas that it took you to get here. Whatever it was they were talking about, and I I totally lost the topic, but it was about spiritual stuff. And Brandon said this, you know, he says, I I, I am amazed, and most of the time at myself, at how far it is, the, the incredible distance from my head to my heart. Let me tell you something. That is profound truth. When it comes to dealing with the things of God. We as church people have good theology in our heads. But the distance to our heart is overwhelming for us. And so we keep good theology locked in our heads. And somehow it doesn't get into our hearts. And then by definition pumped out to the other parts of our body where we do life. This truth resides in the heads of church people everywhere. This is his church, not mine. But if that's the case, why do we have so much conflict in churches? We get it here, but we don't get it here. And it never gets to here. Remember last week I asked you, why do we have so many churches? Why is it that we have so many churches in this part of the world where you don't have to drive not even you know, a mile and pass at least one other one, if not several other ones from this church? Why so many churches? One answer. Okay, there's multiple answers to that, but here's one of them. People can't get along with each other. And so they go and they have a problem at their church and they say in one way or another, we're going to go down the street and start our own church. By the way, and then they put names on those churches like the Greater New Harmony Baptist Church. Church conflict is a very real part of how we do church. Why do we have so much conflict in churches? You ready for this? I got several. Zingers today. That's why I told you I wasn't mad on the front. Okay, as far if you're visiting with us, you need to know we're not in the middle of some big church fight here. Okay, and we may be when this one's over, but right now we're fine. All right, but this is the best time to have these kind of sermons. All right, because if we're not fighting and we get this stuff, we're open to hearing it better than if we've already chosen sides. Right? That makes sense. And the fact of the matter is, it is God's word. Jesus says, "I will build my church." It's his, not ours. One of the reasons that we have so much conflict in churches maybe is because we just won't let Jesus be king of his church. When I was at First Baptist Church of Edinburgh, some of our dear friends are here today from down there and uh, we love seeing them and it just kind of brings back a, a number of memories for me, and I was, I was working through this passage. One of the things I remembered about Edinburgh is, is the church itself is located a half a mile from the courthouse, so it's a county seat town, but the church itself is loaded, located in an, a neighborhood that is, I guess we would call it, degenerating or urban Okay, and at one time, it was the blow-and-going part of the county, uh, and then McAllen took over, and so people and all that kind of stuff goes there. So the church is kind of located in a tough area, and one of the things that we saw happen during our 20 years there was the church began to be tied into some of the neighborhood dynamics as gangs moved into the neighborhood. And as pastor, one of the problems that I had to deal with with that church was how we related to the gangs in the neighborhood. And I could tell you some stories about that. But in the process of that, I learned some things about gangs and how they operate. And most of us have been in places, uh, I had not seen any of this in Lumberton, but maybe we do have some of not I just don't know. I don't think so, but... Um, And that is as a gang would come in, they would mark their territory. They call it tagging. And so they get a spray can, you know, spray paint, and they'll just on a wall somewhere, which by the way, churches have lots of walls, right? So one of the things that we had problems with, these gang members coming up and tagging our church building, that is a way that a gang member marks his turf, his territory. Well, over a period of time while we were there, not only did we have that problem and we were forever painting over Uh, that kind of tagging on our buildings and on our property, uh, another gang decided to come in and take over that property. Now, the way they do that is they'll come in, first of all, they fight about it, and secondly, they'll take another color of spray paint and they'll X out whatever's already been tagged and they'll put their tag next to it. And as we were there, we began to notice that things like the stop signs around our church on the public highways, the curbs... And our buildings and stuff, they were tagging it, saying, this is our turf. And I thought at the time, and I think more so now, how appropriate that somebody outside of the church finally found a way to identify the problems in the church. Because people in the church tag their territory too. I'm not going to ask you this morning if you're sitting in the same chair that you sit in every Sunday morning. But I will tell you that if you had to ask somebody to move because that's your seat, you just tagged your territory at church. I wish it was as easy as that for us in church, but the reality of this tends to be a lot more bloody than even that. Here's a zinger for you. When kingdoms are threatened, kings go to war. And I've seen that more often than I like in churches. One little faction decides that they're going to take something. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's a program. Maybe it's a time slot. Maybe it's a Sunday school class. And so they decide that's where they're going to be. And that's their turf somebody starts moving in on that turf and kings go to war. How many churches do you know that right now are experiencing civil war? They're everywhere. I'm grateful that I could stand here and have this sermon today and it's not us as far as I know. Now that's not to say that there aren't skirmishes going on. It happens all the time. Matter of fact, let me just give you part of it. When I came to this church, one of the things that I realized immediately within the first two weeks that I was here was that we actually have two churches. Now, here's another statement I want you to get, okay, as we go through this that I'm about to, to explain for you. Most church conflict has very little to do with Jesus' kingdom. You've you got to get that. Okay, that's a horrible truth for us to have to say, but it is truth. Most church conflict has very little to do with Jesus' kingdom. So I came to this church, moving towards three years ago now, and within two weeks I realized we had two churches here. Okay, we had the 830 church and we had the 11 o'clock church. Now, since I've been here, we've seen some flip-flopping and people go in and say, surely he does better preaching in the first service than the second, so I'll go there. Um, it's just different. It's two churches. But that sets us up for this problem that I'm talking about. Because what happens is we have one church and they do church this way. And we have another church at 11 that does church this way. As pastor, I'm okay with that as long as we recognize we are one church. But you see, we start drawing these lines and we start digging trenches. First World War kind of warfare where we dig our trenches and we throw chemical bombs at one another in church. Usually those are launched from our mouths. Most of that has very little to do with, if anything to do, with Jesus and his kingdom. But our kingdoms rise It goes to programs and classrooms and all of that kind of stuff. So here's the deal. Just don't be naive, okay? Please don't be naive. Most church conflict is over dumb stuff, dumb stuff. What color should that carpet be? Well, we shouldn't have carpet. And Jesus, I'm sure, in heaven, shakes his head and goes, that ain't my church. My church doesn't do business like that. So let me throw this question. If if we were to let Jesus be king of his church, would we have anything to fight about? Let's come back. Oh, oh you want text? Let's go to scripture then, all right? So let's come to that little one-word, two-letter sermon trigger that we have here. Verse 18, one more time, Jesus says, and I tell you, you are... Petros, and on this Petra I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it I will build you a church is that the way it says it it's not the way it says it it says I will build my church the basic truth the fundamental truth 15-20 minutes now worth of truth is it's not yours And you should say, yeah, well, it ain't yours either, preacher. And I would say, you got that right. This, by the way, is further support why it cannot be Simon Peter that the church is built on. Because if it's Simon Peter that the church is built on, Jesus has no claims to it then. The reality is it's his church. The whole gospel of Matthew is about Jesus as the Christ of God. And the reality is that only Jesus can be king. I, I know, I didn't really expect an amen to that because that's a little threatening to us. Only Jesus can be king. Another sad truth. Every church has within it the raw material necessary to wage catastrophic war. Did you catch that? Every church has the natural resource within it so that we could wage war that would totally destroy the church. Now, a lot of times we kind of hang this on Satan. and We say, you know, Satan sent so-and-so, and they're just causing trouble in the church. Let me tell you something. Most churches, Satan doesn't have to lift a finger to work to wreak havoc in the church because we all are carriers of havoc. And all it takes is one person to stand up and say, I think today I will be king of the church. Oh, I get that all the time through my long history in ministry. There's always somebody in the church ready to stand up and say, I'm king today. So when you're tempted to show up at church and hang a sign on the door that says under new ownership, do the rest of us a favor and just don't. Does that make sense? I say that in all the Christian love I can muster. It does not do us any good for any well-intentioned person to stand up and say, I know best, and therefore it's got to be my way. It's his church. It's his church. He's king. So my my practical side of me can't leave it there. By the way, that's a pretty good indication that you're struggling with the lordship of Christ. The practical side of me says, surely that can't work. So I translate into these committee meetings that are so much a part of my life, and that's fine. That's part of us moving forward as a church. That's a whole other sermon. Uh, The back half of this I'll do next time, Spencer. Um, But in this... I want to say, okay, so how do we do that? For us to say it's your church and we understand that and we bow our knee to the Lordship of Christ and his church, how then do we do business? How do we make decisions? How do we get there? And invariably, somebody's going to rise up and say, well, we've been here longer. We know this church, so this is the best way. By the way, you just made it your church when you said that. Tucked away is the answer here, and I'll close with this. The answer to how do we do this practically is in verse 17. Now, I'll I'll read it in a minute, okay? As soon as I say that, everybody's head goes down and their ears shut off. So back up. Let me finish here. When I come to get ready to preach, and some of you think that I just get up here and wing it. That's not the case, okay? So when I sit down and I start working through a passage to deal with it, one of the things I always want to do and try to do is to stop everything else and just pray through the passage. And God, I need to see what's here for us. My job is to stand up in front of your people and help us all to see what you're saying to us from this passage of Scripture. And so as I was working my way through this, I immediately went to the My Church thing because I've been in church work a long time. I've known lots of owners of churches. Usually, they're the ones who own it right before it dies. And as I was praying through this, it's like the Lord kept stopping me, you know. And I just, what's, what? And so, finally, I said, what? Verse, Verse 17, you know, it wasn't the whisper. It was, hey, dummy, look at verse 17. There's your answer. What does verse 17 say? I have it right here in my Bible. I just had to find it. Here it is. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you. In other words, congratulations, Simon, son of Jonah. For flesh, here it is. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You want a good truth about how to be the church that God wants us to be where Jesus is in charge? Listen to his Father. If you're a leader in this church, if you're a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a committee member, or chairman especially, If you work in any way, a want-to-worker, any place in this church where you stand as a position that the church has said, we've recognized your efforts in this, hear me say this, don't bother doing that if you're not listening to what God has to say. Because one of the first things that he will always say is, that's not your church, so don't treat it like it is. This is one of those sermons that will flesh itself out for us for a hundred years. It's his church. There's no room for fighting unless we're fighting the real enemy. But you see, the real enemy knows that. So if he gets us fighting against each other, he doesn't have to worry about fighting us we just kill ourselves in the process so whose church did you go to today let's pray lord we really don't like this kind of stuff i just assume you let us talk about your love and grace and how great it is to be your children but we recognize that church stuff is often very messy The reason it is is because people are involved and the reason that's a problem is because we're all eaten up with sin and that essential want to control our kingdoms and help it not to be so. Give us the honesty to ask the question of ourselves, have I tried to make it mine? And then give us the courage to bow our knee before you and let you be king. In Jesus' name.